0: Hey, everyone, this is Matt Anderson, and you're listening to the Proximity Process Podcast. This show is an invitation into a growing community. It's a conversation about how systems change. It actually starts with personal transformation. The change we want to see, it starts with us. And so today's conversation, I talked to a friend of mine, a colleague, a collaborator, Sherry Williams. So Sherry spent the first 25 years of her career climbing the ladder of success in child welfare. And now at 49 years old, she found herself as the senior vice president of an international organization. And much of the work that she was doing was running a foster care and adoption program that spanned across the country. A role with lots of responsibility, no doubt, and also probably a lot of security and opportunity and recognition. And yet Sherry found herself, like many of us do, that she wasn't right with herself. So she chose the path of taking the leap into the unknown and left her job of 12 years. And so I wanted to talk to Sherry today about how she came to this decision and what she's learning so far now that she's about four months in. I think Sherry has a lot to teach us about what it takes to make this decision. You know, the parts that create fear and insecurity, the financial insecurities, the judgment from self, judgment from others, and quite frankly, the parts of this decision that can really suck. But Sherry also talks about the joy, the freedom, as well as where security truly comes from. And most importantly, the opportunities she's had to stand with families and to do work that's in service of justice. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation with Sherry Williams, and let's go ahead and pick it up where Sherry talks about some of the top priorities she had as she sat in that executive role. So 50 programs, $50 million budget, a few hundred employees. There's a lot for you to be responsible for and thinking about. What like what would you say was your top priority?
1: I mean, there were definitely a lot, but I would say my top three priorities were leadership development. Number two, just from a cultural perspective, I'm a Florida girl that came from a highly diverse state and city. I was in Orlando in central Florida and moved to West Michigan, which is nowhere near as diverse. And so I'll just say like diversity inclusion work was also a huge priority. And then thirdly, developing new programs.
0: Okay. So you're sitting in this, this vice president role, leading programs focused on leadership development, culture, diversity, equity, inclusion work. And then, in probably around twenty twenty, you move into an executive role where now you have a different set of responsibilities outside of just programs.
1: Yes, however, that role primarily was overseeing program growth across the entire organization
0: mm. What do you think was driving program growth like at the at the executive level, as you all sat around the executive yeah. Kind of boardroom what was the conversation about growth i mean one way to look at it is that an organization is is either growing or shrinking and if it's shrinking it's dying but we have priorities right so i'm just curious what was the priority of, of growth
1: yeah i think in any organization especially long-standing institutions who were founded upon maybe a set of programs or a set of practices And then like, just through time we evolve. Right. And so I think that was the case with us too. Like there were some programs that were shrinking and there were some that we wanted to grow. You follow the need, but I will say in the organization's growth is very often linked with success.
0: Success in what way? Like who defines success do you think?
1: I I think it's rather intangible, but it's a culture. It's a culture of just like grow bigger, more contracts, more revenue, more staff, more services, just growing the impact and scope of what organizations are able to provide in the community.
0: Yeah. Okay. So 25 years into your child welfare career. And you started in Florida. You started as, like I think many people, right? You started as a CPS investigator. I did. Worked your way up into supervisor kind of roles. And then 12 years ago, you move in to a new new global organization. And again, sort of rise, rise up through the organization into a VP of programs role, into an executive role. And I'm sure there was opportunity at this stage of your career, this position that you're in. You're probably looking at some of those, mm-hmm. but you make it a, a different decision. You make a decision to leave that job and we're going to come back to, to why and, and, and eventually how you came to that decision, but let's just locate that in time. Like when was your last day on the job?
1: Um, August of 2023.
0: So three months ago.
1: A uh, uh, Three and a half. <laughs> I, I don't remember who's, the, exact who's counting the
0: exact number of days.
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> might be. Um,
0: I, I still, I still do. It's just a marker of milestones, right? Like mm-hmm. it's important. We're going to talk about this too a little bit. I think it's like celebration is part of the process, mm-hmm. accountability, yes. responsibility, seeing truth, but also celebration and acknowledging milestones. Like it's definitely, it's an important part of the process. And so anyway, three months ago ish, you leave your job, not an easy decision. You know, you and I have known each other for what, two plus years now. And so on, on some level, I've been a part of this process, but the process goes goes back a lot longer, I'm sure. But let's go back maybe two or three years ago, because I do know that there are a couple things happening in your life and in your work. One was doing some work with an organization called Aaliyah, who does a lot of great systems change type work around the country. And then you were also kind of going down your own path around diversity, equity, and inclusion, but really understanding race and racism in your own life, in your job, in the child welfare system. So I want to talk about those two things as part of your process of like, how did you come to see what you now see? Like, where could that pick up maybe a couple of few years ago? And what did you start to do?
1: Yeah, yeah. So let me lay a backdrop first. Okay. I grew up in highly diverse spaces in my formative years, and that was just normal to me until I realized just a handful of years ago, like 2017, like, oh, wow, that wasn't everyone's experience. I just thought this was normal. But in 2017, when I moved from Florida, there were some people in the organization here. And so one of the people I knew ended up becoming a direct report to me. And I'm so grateful for him, because he started just asking me some questions about Are the communities that we're serving really better off because of the services we've provided? And it just kind of like threw me for a loop. So I was like, huh? You know, like clearly I was on the climb. And then in 2018, I went to an anti-racism workshop with an organization called CORE, Congregations Organizing for Racial Equity. It was presented through a Christian lens, it rocked my world. It rocked my world. And I thought I was pretty aware, but what I had never known before was really the long history of racism in our country. And I learned about how the Christian faith was wrapped into that. And like that shocked me. And Again, this was presented from a Christian worldview. And so like my world just was rocked a lot. And then it was 2019 when I was at the Michigan Federation Conference and Dr. Amelia Frank-Meyer, who is the founder of Aliyah Innovations, she started saying things like, foster care is a social experiment. We're now learning Separation from a parent during childhood is one of the most traumatizing things that can happen, and that the system is slowly declining and declining, and that we have to build something new, and what if we could build something new that was really based on love and belonging? But I will say that was like the cherry on top for me of like, "Oh my goodness, this is what I am supposed to be doing with the rest of my career." Like it was a marker moment for me. That
0: was all 2018. So this is all within about a year or so. Three very specific moments in time, right? So I want to go back to to those three specific moments in time. So your colleague who asks you some questions that you hadn't really pondered before, kind of stopped you in your tracks, this core program around race equity. One of the themes that we've hit on in this show that Corey Best offered this up in the first episode, right, which is, is what you're doing. As an employee, as an organization, as a system, is it serviceable to the organization and the system, or is it in service of families and communities? And I think that's what I heard your colleague ask you, right? So, hey, Sherry, amazing. Like, look at you. You get promoted, and you grow programs, and you grow organizations, and you're being celebrated for this. And success, as you said, right? Organizations grow for success. Success defined by whom? And is that success in service of people? And so that's, that's what I hear your colleague asking yes. you. Did you sort of hear it that way at, at that? I mean, not in those terms of serviceable versus in service probably, but is that what it started to open up for you of like, wait a minute, like, are we doing what's right for the people we serve? Or are we doing what's right for the organization and the system?
1: Exactly. You know, and it really was about A, who are we accountable to? and has the community that we have been serving, however many years or decades, how much better off are they now because of what we've offered?
0: And like, how did you answer those questions? Where did you go with that?
1: In my heart, and my mind, like at that moment, if someone would have asked me, like, tell us about your work, Sherry, what have you done? Like, I would have said, you know, like, oh my goodness, we're changing people's lives, you know? But it also reminds me that the child welfare system in America really was built on this value of like individualism. Every family is just that family, and we assess them individually as just that family. And never, I'm embarrassed to say, but really never in my career when I really even thought about like how the families that we were serving experienced these systemic issues that oftentimes kept them trapped in their circumstances, kept them trapped in their locations. And so just starting to learn about all of that and have lots of conversations with this colleague who had very close proximity because he's from the city. He grew up in the city. He lived in the city. Like the communities that we were serving were his community.
0: Right. And isn't it fascinating that we can sit in these program leadership roles and what you're saying, which I don't think is uncommon, having never really truly considered, is our work helping people? I I, I don't think we do nearly a good enough job of finding out what people think about our programs, how we provide them, how we make them feel, all of that,
1: right? You know. We, and Matt, when we do and we get some really hard feedback, I have seen it time and time again. I've been guilty of doing it myself, Yeah, of just completely dismissing that and saying, well, they're just mad because their kids were taken away. Or, you know, oh, of course, they're not going to appreciate our services. They just want their kids. And I just look back at that with just a totally different lens yeah. than I did then.
0: And it's And it's tough too, like to keep it personal, right? Because I'm sure a lot of people in your circles and in your world, family, friends, people at the gym, you know they see you, oh, I work in you know the foster care and adoption, child welfare world. Oh, wow, you know, you're know you doing amazing work. That must be so rewarding and good for you. And so it's so easy to fall into the trap to say, yes, I'm, I'm out here changing people's lives. I'm doing things that are helpful to people. And the, the complexity of it is that sometimes that is true. And then the full truth, right? Which is what this process is about, right? Which is that many times what we do is not helpful and it is harmful and it is burdensome. The narrative around our work can keep us blind to that truth.
1: And the way the system is set up and structured. The first eight years of my career, I just worked in investigations and you in and you were out, in and out, in and out. I removed probably like close to a hundred kids when I was a CPS worker. When there were things going on in the state at the time that made us very risk averse, But all I knew was what I did on the front end, and then I moved on to the next case. I never knew what happened with those kids until eight years into my career. I then say, selfishly, I want to round out my career. I want to work on the back end of the system now just to get more exposure and experience. And so I go and I work for a foster care and adoption organization, and I saw these kids who had been removed. I saw some kids that I had removed who were still in foster care 10 years later. And that made, like, I had just this inner, like, was there a different way? Because for them to age out of foster care and bounce around from place to place and never get a family, are they really better off?
0: So 2018-ish, your colleague Justin, shout out to Justin, gifts you this, this question, how do you know your work is improving the lives of families and communities? Brilliant question, right? And then let's, let's go to the core program. So this, this race equity program, rather than de- sort of describing all of it, take me into a moment that you experienced that had a real impact.
1: So on the first night of training, it's a two and a half day intensive time together. So on the first night, we did something called a timeline exercise where we went through from like the 1400s up until today, and we had massive stickies across all the walls, we would go through and above the line, we would talk about things related to race that had unfolded within our country. And then below the line, we would talk about people who were fighting toward racial justice. First of all, I was embarrassed that I did not know. So that was one. But secondly, I learned about something called the Doctrine of Discovery, which actually was out of Europe, that said, we are white Christians, we are superior, and so therefore, we should go out and basically colonize any area or land that is not occupied by, quote unquote, civilized, white-skinned Christians, and that anyone who's not us is basically not human that wrapped my faith and like my faith was such a motivation for my work and it just wrapped it all up and i was like what what is happening here and so at the end of that exercise i sat there in disbelief and i said i feel like i've been duped. i feel like i wasn't taught history accurately in my life and i had people around me saying yeah like most of us aren't most of us aren't. Mm. So let me tell you one more moment. So we did this activity where we mapped like who is centered and then who's on the fringe. And then we mapped out and where are the resources? Resources are always in the center and how we as a society try to pull people from the fringes into the center where the resources are. But should we? Because what lives on the fringes There's community on the fringes. There's beauty on the fringes. There's selflessness. So that caused me to break down in tears. And fortunately, I knew enough as I was weeping over my career. I'm like, my whole career, like trying to bring people from the fringes into the center and thinking that that's going to make them better. But like, what could it have looked like if we brought like true resources and true power you know, out to where they were. And so I wept a lot. I felt really confused and I had to sit in that space and find some safe people to talk to about that and unpack that with, and then had these, the racial equity folks from CORE actually come in and start working with me and my leadership team on how can we use this experience to really change our philosophy about how we're delivering services in the community. And so that journey went on and on and then 20, end of like t- fall of 2019 is when I saw Amelia present.
0: Okay. So the center and the fringe's image <clears throat> is a good image, right? Like I can I can make sense of of what that looks like. So what you're connecting that to in a child welfare context I think is that the child welfare system goes out and surveils and inv- investigates and judges people living in the fringes. And then removes their children, takes their children away from families and communities. And so you ha- you just hadn't seen it that way before until you went through this core program. And then you bring them into your leadership teams and helping you and your colleagues see your work from this perspective. And I, I imagine that was probably met with some mixed results of, of you know, kind of who was ready for that, not ready for that. What can an organization right do with that information? You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, let's go to Aaliyah. So you go to this conference, you see Amelia speak, and she talks about the harms The when you remove a child, that's traumatic. When they bounce around in foster care, that's traumatic. When they're separated from their family, their community, their culture, like there's all these things that we don't, Pay attention to really that are impacting children in a negative, harmful way, and then of course their parents are experiencing similar but different sets of of harms. And this has been happening in communities for generations. Let's fast forward a little bit from that conference, and you know, just just kind of briefly touch on like you brought Aaliyah in too to your work. What were the goals? What were you trying to accomplish by partnering with Aaliyah in your in your work?
1: Yeah, I'll say, as I was sitting in that space and really grappling with what am I doing with my career? And is it right by families? I came to the place of, okay, how can I use the position, the role I'm in? How can I use that to help others really grapple with these questions and see things from a different perspective? To do that, I wanted to expose those learnings that I was experiencing. I wanted to bring that and offer that to other people. And I watched it resonate deeply. I mean, there was not everyone was there. Um, I will say the large majority of people, uh, their worlds rocked too. Now, keep in mind, one of the things I mentioned in my role was to grow programming across the nation. Well, all this was culminating. You know, 2020 happened. Well, even before 2020, but like I was only in my executive role less than six months before everything shut down with the pandemic. And so we've got this big racial reckoning happening in the US, all of this learning that I've done, and I'm supposed to be growing programs. And our refugee and immigrant programming was exploding with growth
0: because of all the removals that were happening at the border.
1: Yes. Family separation crisis was happening as I was in my core training in 2018. And we're hearing Jeff Sessions quote scripture as justification for removing children from their parents at at the Southern border. And like, I'm still a woman of faith, you know, but I just saw-
0: So let me, yeah, let me ask you this question from that point. So you're still a woman of faith and you're still an executive and you have this growth responsibility. And I'm just curious, like, how would you describe the conflict, the internal conflict that Sherry's having at that time?
1: Yeah. I'm very much a both and person. Like, I believe 90 plus percent of the time that we can find a both and solution. And so I, you know, stepped back and just said, Hey, I'm responsible for growing programming. I believe we can do better by families. And some incredible leaders on my team were also, you know, learning and listening and the FFPSA, Family First Prevention and Services Act had just passed and gone into effect. So I was like, so both and I'm going to grow family preservation services. I'm going to grow programs that keep families together and invest in families and communities. So that was my both and, but was focused on keeping families together and strengthening families.
0: Okay. So that was how you dealt with the conflict that might have been internal let me grow in a way that is more aligned with what I think is is in service right and so you know I had the same kind of experience because when I sat in an executive role I had a responsibility to grow the foster care program double the size of it was the goal and so the way I dealt with the conflict of that was well we can grow it We can improve the quality of it, and we can improve consistency across the state because it's now going to be a very large program. It was this idea that like, okay, we're not in the business of foster care. We're in the business of helping kids leave foster care as quickly as possible and ideally back to their family. That was my mantra. I felt pretty good about that. And then we had a 300% increase of exits to reunification. That was success, right? Business success, program success, impact success. Everybody felt good about it. And then I came to the realization I couldn't look away from, which is, yes, and we had to completely disrupt and dismantle a family before any of that could have started. And I couldn't justify anymore the, the both and. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm a both and person too, right? And, uh-huh. and at some point it came to, came to a head. Okay. So now we're in like the 2020 era. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit to around 2020, 2021. The process, as, as we laid it out here, of seeing the truth of the system that you didn't see before and then seeing yourself in that truth. So how would you kind of like summarize what you were seeing that maybe you weren't seeing before within the child welfare system when we get to that point in your process?
1: Yeah. So what I saw in the child welfare system that I hadn't seen before, who are we here to serve? Are we here to serve our organization getting bigger? Or are we here to actually see children thrive within their families, within their communities? And those two things I just saw very juxtaposed with one another. And I got really, took some time off of work. I had some things going on in my life and just needed some time to maintain my own health and well-being and wellness. And I took some time identifying what are my values? What do I value in my life? What do I value in my work? Am I walking in right relationship with Mm -hmm. myself? You know, you know, you know all this, Matt. Yeah, I know all this. (laughs) You were one of the voices in my lifetime. Um,
0: And I think though that like, I I agree that it's it's individual. And I, I think to challenge that a little bit, I think that once you go through a process that you went through, and once you start to see the things that you started to see, there are positions that we sit in that we can't. We can't be both and, and have integrity within ourselves, right? So this idea of right relationship is like, am I right with myself first? And then are we right with people that we serve If the people that we serve are families and communities that have been on the fringes, intentionally under-resourced and over-investigated for generations, and we're continuing to pull their children into the center, you know, can we be right with those families? Once we see it that way, it's really, really, really hard to convince ourselves that we can be in the both-and, right? You know, my understanding is that's what you're feeling now in, in 2023, And at 49 years old, 25 years into your career, you make this decision to step away for three or four months. And so, what was your intention during that um, summer of 2023 that you took that break?
1: Well, I will say my intention was to care for and provide stability for my kids. Now, in walking that out, you know, I was also really intentional on who am I? What are my values? And like, what am I good at? And so I was just really intentional about my work values and the type of leader I am. And I also believe wholeheartedly that sometimes we just we complete our missions in certain spaces. And I believe my work in my last position was done. And I've been told out here, <laughs> you know, um to continue doing what I'm here to do. In these years, yeah, yeah.
0: So, this this break that you take, the summer of twenty twenty three, I want to go to a moment in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. So you're in Michigan. You and your three kids came to Asheville, where you have some family. Spent a, a long weekend. I came up from Greensboro, spent I don't know a day and a half there. So at this point, you and I've you know started to like really get to know each other and. I'm supporting you in your process. You're supporting me in my process in a lot of ways. We're becoming colleagues and collaborators and friends. And we're building now this Imagination Factory cohort that we run for people kind of like us as an eight-week program. But before that started, we did this like dream session in North Carolina with you. So I, I kind of facilitated this session of what is the future, right? So you're you know, you're 49 years old and three kids and 25 years into your career, you have a ton of experience and wisdom. And it's risky to take a, a big leap at this stage of your career. So, as we did that, like, what do you recall as the like the values? For example, like, what are the values in your work going forward as you as you started to to flush them out?
1: First and foremost, I deeply value people. I value justice. I value access to resources and opportunities for everyone. Um, I value equity, not equality. Some people have just had much more of a head start than others.
0: And I I know you to to value this idea of co-creating together with people, of communities being autonomous in a certain sense, you know, solving their own problems, not needing, you know, outside interventions. So we we kind of went through all that. We went through the things that you're really good at. I mean, you have obviously lots of skills, you know, through your work and other parts of your life. And then we talked about like things that you would want to do going forward. And then I asked you this question, like, because we had this whiteboard session, right? So we had all these sheets right. of white paper that we filled up with all kinds of questions that we were working through. And then I just had a sense that you weren't saying something. Mm-hmm. So I asked, you, what's not on the whiteboard because you're afraid to say it out loud? And where, I, I, I kind of remember, but I, where did you go with that?
1: I never want to sound like arrogant or egotistical.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I remember you asking me that question and me looking at you and going, I want to be a published author and influencer and speaker. Yeah. But I'm like, but it's really scary to say.
0: Yeah. 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 So we, yeah, we, I mean, so many of us, right. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this that also have dreams, Mm
1: -hmm. right?
0: And, and, and yeah. And oftentimes we have dreams that are selfish on some level and selfless dreams that are in service of people, in service of ourselves. And, and we get stuck. We get stuck in, in roles and in positions and in mindsets. And we get stuck from allowing our dreams to come to life, you know? And what if we were all in a place where we could bring our dreams to life? Yes,
1: absolutely, Matt. Yes. I mean, you, you, we, you and I have talked about this before. You know, studies show like we're most creative when we are really young. Then we start entering these institutions that have been around for many, many years that really is more about like, you're a cog in the wheel, or you're one of all these people that we're trying to educate, or trying to protect kids, or incarceration, or you know whatever our systems are. In my experience, I just see those systems leading more toward uniformity people and it kind of trains the creativity out of us. And I think it it kind of like dissociates us from those dreams that I believe are given to us by God. And so whatever people's spiritual beliefs are or not, you know, I believe there is something bigger than us and that those dreams are for us and they're built on our strengths and the struggles that we have gone through in our life that breeds this special brand of magic that only we can bring to the world.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I believe that we are creative beings. To, to grow is a creative act. The most fundamental things of life are creative acts. And, I, and yeah, I mean, the institutions that we've created, whether it's our public education system or our child welfare system or so many others, the function of an institution is to kind of systematize and constrain the creativity that we have, the imagination that we have, and we have to follow certain, certain rules. And so granted, that performs some functions in society, but it also is incredibly limiting, and, and, it, and it holds us back from a much more just, beautiful, fair, equitable world. But these institutions, you know, especially when we have kids and we have mortgages and we're trying to prepare for retirement and all these kinds of very real responsibilities that we all have, these institutions give us a sense of security. Financial security, relevance, opportunity, all kinds of security, right?
1: It's where the resources are. If you think back to that, like center, uh, yes.
0: Yeah. So we stay stay in the center, right? We think that we're finding security there. But at the end of the summer of 2023, you make the big decision that you're going to leave your job, that you're not going to seek security and comfort in places that are holding you back, and you're going to let go. So how did you finally come to that decision? Like what was, ah, what, what culminated? Yeah, it's a big decision.
1: It just became really clear that who I am, my values, what I'm called to do was not going to remain in the space that I was in. And so I didn't have another source of income. I've been the primary provider for my family for years that's still the case and i did it anyway and like i said it's it's terrifying but i feel i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be so let's
0: yeah let's i mean let's talk about like the pros and cons right because no doubt there are a lot of people that are listening to this conversation that are not sure should i be in should i be out should i stay should i go i have these conversations weekly with people i think what holds us back is the fears of the unknown Is this gonna work? Is it not gonna work? What are the pros and cons? I don't know what they're gonna be. So talk about that. Like, let's start with like what sucks the most about making this decision now that you I mean you're three, four months in, so it's still kind of early, but like what is what is what's what really sucks about this?
1: I am having to really this is so shallow. I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's the truth. So I have had to change the lifestyle that I am accustomed to living. I can't spend money like I used to. I, quite frankly, have had to take money out of my retirement. And anyone who's had to do that, like it, it gets penalized. Like it's a horrible deal. Um, however, it's not lost on me. All of the money that I have in my retirement currently was built by largely separating kids from their families. That's not lost on me. And so I had to come to the place of, well, if I've got to spend all of that down and not going to a place of martyrdom either, but I just had to say, you know what? And again, my faith, I'm like, okay, God has got me and I'm going to be okay. But um, the hardest part as a mom is that it may come down where I've got to sell my house. Hope it doesn't come to that because I do want stability for my kids with all of these big life transitions we've walked through in the past year and a half but that's the hardest thing as a mom.
0: Let me let me ask you one more thing and then I want to go yes. to all the, the 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 upside, right? Because there's lots of upside, but I think we have to be real because I know people are debating this of like the downsides, but like the fears, right? Like the the downsides of this on the interpersonal, like within you, Sherry, as as a person, as a human. I'm sure there are you know some fears that come along and insecurities about this that you just have to process in your oh
1: heart gosh, and soul yes. and in
0: your mind yes
1: yes the biggest one for me matt is what will people think and again i'm embarrassed to say that but it is what it is will people think i'm foolish will people be like oh my gosh like she was on this trajectory of success and then she walked away from it all like what a fool you know like that's a fear Am I going to lose everything that I've worked so hard for all of these years? And I had to come to the place of, okay, well, I had a family member and a friend tell me I could live with them if I, lo- if I ended up homeless and I lost it all. So I was like, that's all the security I needed. I'm like, okay, my kids and I will have somewhere to live. Anything else, I'll deal with it as it comes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so then then there must be upsides, right? Because if it's, okay, if I lose everything, I'll be fine. You know, so there must be something that's driving this on the on the positive side. So let's talk about that. What's what's the best part of this?
1: I'll start in like internally to me and move out from there. So like for me, nothing could pay me in a way that is better than how I feel being complete and true and whole with who I am. That living in right relationship and that integrity of self. And then for my kids, I'm home every day at three o'clock when they get home from school and I'm just present with them. And I can talk to them about knowing what we believe and walking our life in accordance with that, even when it's really hard. So that's really important. And I feel unconstrained. I know that I will continue on this path of justice and equity and centering those who are rarely, if ever, centered, and that is parents and communities. And so I feel also like in right relationship with the people that we're here to serve, just that wholeness in all the ways is the biggest pro for me.
0: Yeah. And then what are some of the the practicalities of all of this? You talked about some of them. Selling off some of the retirement, but maybe even beyond financial, because that's the obvious one. But like practically, how, how are you making this transition work from being in your career for 25 years, having a job to now being self employed? Like what, what insights have you gained over the last three or four months, or maybe even six months or so?
1: First of all, it has been humbling because I've had to ask for help. I'm like, wow, the, this is the position that parents we serve are often in. Although I realized, I know I have so much more privilege, but just the feeling of having to ask for help was really, it was not lost on me. I was like, wow. So even like proximity to not having immediately available resources has been fascinating. And practically one of the things I did, I have a big whiteboard in my office here, my home office, I sat down and I had to go through every domain of my life income health insurance you know just the things that are wrapped up in the security and resources that working for an organization gives you and then like when i just like in very short order deciding like okay i'm going to start my own business i had a whole part of the whiteboard on that and honestly it was pretty overwhelming i had to step back and stay in close communication with people as I was piecing all of this together. And then literally just yesterday, like I still, I have some new things. Like it's mostly ideas on my board now because like slowly over time, I was like, I'm never gonna be able to do this. I'm never gonna get through all of this. And it was overwhelming. But slowly over time, like one by one, all of those things have gotten checked off and my kids and I have insurance. And so those are just some of the practicalities and realizing I'm gonna be okay. There also has to be this shedding. My friend Angie says, like, we got to take some stuff out of the background for this journey, stuff that we just don't need anymore. For me, it's been some of my thoughts and attitudes about myself and my abilities. It's been about what are relationships that I don't need in my life that no longer serve me, like aren't contributing toward the fullness of my calling. What are some of those things I've just got to let go of?
0: Yep. Yeah, there's there's something of the practicalities that starts with like believing and trusting in yourself. And for you, that <clears throat> that is tied to your to your spirituality, right? That that God will hold you in this process, right? And so for others, it's gonna mean something different, right? But it's a trust and belief in yourself. And then it just gets really basic of like, okay, if I'm gonna take this leap. I have to break some things down. Like, what about finances? What about, you know, the household? What about insurance? What about the kids? What about the business? What about the prospects? Like, you just start breaking it all down. What feels really overwhelming and big, you just start to break it down into all of its parts and create a plan, you know? But what we don't typically do is do them for ourselves, right? Because it's, it's the fear of what's on the other side of letting go of what we think is the security that comes from a job, right? And I think this process that that you've been going through, that I've been going through, a lot of us have been going through, it's about seeing the truth. It's about being accountable. It's about taking responsibility. But it's also about these other things that we've been talking about. It's, It's about being in right relationship. Once you see the truth, you have to then take stock of, am I in right relationship with myself and with other people, the people that I serve? If I can't answer yes to all of those questions then I, I have to find what am I accountable to? And what do I have to take responsibility for? Which to me, that often is a letting go process, that shedding that you talked about, right? There are things that we're going to have to let go of in order to be accountable and responsible so that we can be in right relationship.
1: I have been on a journey, Matt, for many years, but I will say most consistently, well, since 2017, eighteen. It's, it's not just been like a transformational journey for me in my career. It's been a transformational journey for me in my life. And so a huge part of how I stay grounded is getting and staying connected with my body. I think a lot of things in our life, especially for women, but for everyone, we are taught and socialized to really kind of disconnect from our bodies. We disconnect from our inner knowing of a spirit of wisdom, discernment, intuition, whatever your beliefs, this inner knowing, this spirit in us. And so for me, it's taking care of my body. So I work out at just about every day and yoga and stretching and breathing like breath work and connecting to my source which for me is god and having community that is in alignment with what i believe in my values and um, who i can deeply connect with and be vulnerable with as parents who can hold me accountable and my people, my mm. special, my inner circle people, yeah. help keep me grounded as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think some of those hit for me too. So to start to 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 wrap us up here, I want to ask a, f- a few questions. And the f- the first one, it's kind of a big one. I want to get kind of your take on like where do you go next? But in the context of where we started a little bit of like some people see, go through their process and see that, okay, I need to stay within the system. I need to create change from within. I need to fix, improve, transform. And others say, you know, no, I need to be outside of the system. I need to be working at eliminating the system, creating something new to make the system obsolete. Is it either, or is it a spectrum? Like I'm even curious about that, but where do you locate yourself on that? Like inside, outside as you go forward?
1: I see myself as a Reagent outside of systems, working with systems for change. I deeply believe in co-creating solutions with people who are impacted by our systems. So for me, it's largely about centering impacted people. A lot of institutions just aren't great at that, and so if we if we center those people. Really listen to what they have to say, and we have to be in the right place. We have to be ready to hear it, because if we're not ready to hear it, uh, we 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 better not ask. So I'll tell you, Matt, I don't think child welfare institutions, unless they change fairly rapidly, they're not going to have a workforce. The generations coming up behind us are not going to keep working for long-standing institutions that continue to pump out inequitable outcomes they're just not. So if you still work within an organization, if you run an organization, you better be transforming toward the future or you won't be here.
0: So do you see your your work then in part anyway as like sort of a, a, a bridge function of like, hey, I'm going to help existing organizations, not focus group communities to find out what new service line they can go win a contract for, which I think that sort of stuff happens a lot. But But is that sort of the way you see like a bridge between communities and organizations to say, okay, organizations, your job here is to listen and learn and then not modify or adapt what you find out, but really take to heart what you find out that might dramatically change your organization in some form or fashion is that? Uh Okay. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yes. That is it. I can look, I can see the thread throughout my life, Matt, of living in middle spaces and being a bridge. I can look back and say, wow, like for as long as i can remember i've been prepared for this and so i believe not all institutions will be able to get there
0: yeah so what about the organizations that want to be in the both and right of like yeah you know we we definitely want to do quote unquote prevention work and we want to partner with communities and provide services that help keep families together or whatever that looks like, right? But, you know, the business of foster care is kind of the core of what we do and we're gonna do really good foster care because there's these kids sleeping in DSS buildings right now tonight, you know, so we have to take care of that. But How do you see that going forward, these working with a a system or an organization that's in the both and? I'm curious what, what you think about that.
1: I think it really comes down to leadership, Matt. And I think it comes down to leadership with guts. Do you have the guts to peel off the, oh, we're so great at what we do and everyone loves us? And are you willing to peel that off? Take really good, like hard look at the reality. Like it's gotta start there.
0: Even if that threatens the business of the organization, the viability of it.
1: I believe there's a way to do it where organizations, they need to know what they're willing to do, right? What are you willing to let go of? And maybe that means your organization shrinks, or maybe that means your organization is ripe to grow because that is your mindset and you're already there. Like it really depends. And so I think it's having those hard conversations having someone from the outside of an institution, asking them these questions, determining who's ready for this transformational journey, or I, I prefer the word transmute. Transmute means something changes so significantly that it could never go back to what it was before. So technically a caterpillar transmutes into a butterfly because a butterfly can't come on the pillar again?
0: Yeah. So that's an interesting point, right? Because transformation is really just sort of the more dramatic improvement over what it already is. And maybe what you're getting at there is that it it has to move into something that it's never been before. And I think there's a lot of leaders that, that are looking. For ways to be able to do that, you know, and I think that there's people that are struggling with, okay, how do I take my organization to a place that it's never been before? There's a lot of the same sort of letting go fears that come with that too. Cause what what's gonna happen? You know, you're gonna lose all your contracts, your board members are gonna walk away because they believed in a different vision than what the new vision, is. you know, so it has all of those. Challenges too, right? But this is what organizations have to look at. You have to ask these really difficult questions. So, for you to be able to to be in a space where you can be that sort of bridge and collaborator and and help organizations, I think that makes sense based on your background and and your process. And so, let me um, ask you two questions to close us out. The first question is proximity. What does does proximity mean to you?
1: Proximity to me means doing life with. In a reciprocal manner, people or communities that I seek to, air quotes, serve, period. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So it's not, you know, like I had positioned myself in this place of power or above or better than for a long time in my career. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I did. We knew when we worked in the system, oh, you don't live in the county that you serve. You didn't want to run into clients at the grocery store. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can look back now and say, wow, well, wasn't that convenient for me? Didn't that keep me nice and comfortable? Sure did. You know? And so I have relationships, friendships, colleagues. I mean, I I just have people from such a broad swath of society that I do like those. And I'm so grateful because my life is so much richer
0: because of that. So, yeah, the positions of privilege and power that we end up in, keep the truth invisible to us. So then proximity is making the truth visible.
1: Mm.
0: But Proximity is also then allowing what becomes visible to change
1: you to change me. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, okay, then you know that I'm, I'm going through my own process. But as I'm here today, what advice do you have for me?
1: Oh, that's funny. Um, What advice do I have for you? First of all, I want to start with a huge thank you to you, Matt. And I've told you this before. I am so grateful for the intestinal fortitude that you have. I am so grateful that you have lived your life out loud so that others could see it and be inspired by you and what you've done. I'm so grateful to have had opportunity to become your friend and colleague. And, and my only advice is two things. Keep doing what you're doing and sharing your story and elevating stories of other people who are doing hard things. And next time I bake a chocolate chip cookie for you, I'd really like it to be in the top five.
0: <laughs> Not I to I can't
1: barely influence you. <laughs> I can't commit to number two.
0: I, I will I keep know. going. I will do my best. But you know,
1: I know the I ranking
0: know. is the ranking, Sherry.
1: Exactly. exactly.
0: <laughs> so um, I do
1: need a I do need another shot though. I'm going to take my oh other yeah, shot, no, that's just fine. like Hamilton. That's
0: so so I'm sure there's some people listening like what like, what the heck are they talking about? So I am on the the search for the world's best chocolate chip cookie, and people do send me cookies to, to rate and review. So if you want uh, your shot at the top five, just, <laughs> you know where to find me. Um, but, you know, the, the process is about community building and relationship building and being in right relationship with people. And you've been a part of my process and a part of my community and vice versa. And it's it's been a gift. So thank you for that. And thank you for this conversation today. appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt.
0: So before we wrap up today's episode, I just want to say thank you again to Sherry Williams for being the guest. And um, if you want to join the Proximity Podcast Club, we meet every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. And all you have to do is go into the show notes, find my LinkedIn page, and send me a message. I'll send you an email with the invite, and you can join us every Monday morning. We'll have Sherry with us um, on this next podcast club. And as always, a special thank you to our production team, Michael Tex Osborne at 14th Street Studios, Evan Share for production support, and Christian Hygis for music. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you.